Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. Good morning, New Life Coolangatta. What a pleasure it is to be here this morning as we open the Word of God. This morning, um, we're not in a series. We're in a free kick, which means I get to choose what we preach on. And uh, I I was praying about it, and I was discerning nothing crazy. I was praying about it. I was discerning, and I really felt God had a word for us around discipleship. I I felt as I prayed that that something God wanted to uh, encourage and invite our church and, and the people that make it up into a season of was more intentional, more authentic, and more effective discipleship. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you just straight away to go ahead and open them up. We're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're going to go to chapter 28 and verse 16. And once you turn there, if you haven't met me before, my name is David Skembry. I get the absolute pleasure of being one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and gather. And as I said, today we're going to be talking about discipleship, unraveling some of the mystery of our faith and what it looks like to live a life with Christ. And so I'm not even going to delay and talk and waffle five seconds. Let's just jump straight in and see what the Bible has to say. Chapter 28 of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Show of hands in this room. Who in this room has ever heard this or bits of this scripture before? Show of hands. Yeah, that is exactly what I expected. This, these are some of Jesus' most famous words. It's got a title, The Great Commission. And, and, and the gospel writer Matthew, who was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus, decided he had a call from God to write down what he had seen Jesus do and say. And, and, and as he did this, this is what he wanted us to walk away with, still lingering in our hearts and in our heads when we reflect on the life of Jesus, which is why he put it right at the end. And in the center of this thing is a call to discipleship, to keep discipleship as a priority among Jesus' people, you and I. So my wondering today is how high on our Christian list of priorities is disciple-making, is our discipleship relationships. And my second question, my second wondering today is when you consider discipleship, is there some awfully big, difficult, and terrible question uh, or misunderstanding that's just blocking the way. Where you go, man, this discipleship thing sounds cool, but, but I just don't get it. There's something that's just not clicking in me. And so my hope for today is that we might, like Jesus' disciples, fall more deeply in love with Jesus' way. That we might, like the early church, Come to understand and value discipleship as central to what it is to be a Christian. And that we might, as a modern church, consider how we can see discipleship happen in our world, in the unique culture and the unique relationships, in a way that's distinct to each discipleship instance. I'm excited for this. So would you join with me in prayer? Holy God, I thank you that you are present in the room. I thank you that as we breathe in and as we pause and give you space, your your name is moving. Your glory is being revealed. 
Holy God, I, I just pray in this space, Lord, that as we consider what discipleship is and we consider this call that is so central to who you are and what you left us with, this isn't information, but we recognize that this is a strategy for liberty. This is a strategy for freedom that you've brought to the Christian world as an act of love. And what I pray, God, is that we would recognize that this is something you're passionate about, which is why it's something you had written down. And I pray that we would recognize you're moving in this room, revealing your truth and doing something special as we read through your word and reflect on what it means. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 So verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority, all of it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So I'm preaching a sermon on discipleship. I've said maybe there's some big glaring questions that are blocking us from doing it. So I think a great spot to start on this sermon is by asking and hopefully answering a simple question. What is discipleship? What even is it? And I'm going to answer it this way. Every day as we go through life, as we, as we walk and as we drive and as we work and as we do uni, we're picking up information. We're hearing ideas. And everything we walk through is forming a perspective within our heart of what's true and what's valuable and what's, what we should expect, right? So, so whether, whether we're being molded by our upbringings or our current encounters, whether it's our triumphs, our wins, or, or our letdowns, the, the moments of losses, whether it's the entertainment we choose to watch or the peers, the friends we choose to to keep and give a voice to. There are opinions and ideas and testimonies and teachings and experiences and they're all around us all the time, a dime a dozen. And the thing is, every day, these things are forming within us a view of what is true, of what is real, of what is valuable, of how to see everything we experience. Every day, our view of what is true is being shaped and is being molded whether we like it or not. And when Jesus comes into this scene, he teaches us that the reality that's forming within us because of this stuff, this dust, these lies, this, this life we're picking up every day, this reality, this idea of reality forming within us, it's actually not right. It's actually broken. It's wrong. And he says it's actually causing us pain. And it's causing the world around us pain. In fact, what Jesus goes on to teach is that the truth of life is, is actually hope and, and the joy and, and, the, and the thriving of life. It's found in a direction that at first can seem so wildly incongruent to what we instinctively expect to be true of the world. This is why in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says this, um, whoever wants to be my disciple must, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Must. In other words, uh, you, you know that you're being discipled by the world, right? As you walk through life and as you walk through the world, it, it, it's teaching you stuff. It's discipling you. Do you know it? Have you ever considered it? And to be a disciple of Jesus, we've actually got to lay that down. Because being Jesus' disciple is actually teaching and guiding and growing us in a way contrary to what we're learning everywhere else. So it's not like, hey, you ought, you know, you, you, you ought to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, or else you're going to be in big trouble. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, to, to be discipled by Jesus, 
You, by nature, cannot continue to be discipled by the world. There's one, or there's the other. There aren't options. It's darker, it's light. They're not two things you can sit on at the same time. They're opposites. So this is what it means to be his disciple. We, we trust him. We lay down our apprenticeship to the world, and we go his way. And, and this is actually what he's saying in the next verse. Uh, he's saying, essentially, clinging to your view of life is costing you your life. Clinging to, how you expect, clinging to what you expect to bring you life is costing you your life. It's destroying you. And he's saying, I know it seems wild and hard and inconceivable, but as you actually lay it down, as you lay down that, that pursuit of life that comes so intrinsically to your heart, you'll find a life far beyond the promises of this world, far beyond the best the world can offer. This is why he goes on, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me or, or following my way, they will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Which, when you think about it, the whole world is kind of the most that the world can promise us. Like, that's kind of everything. So what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet still lose or, or forfeit their very self? Friends, in other words, you can get every single blessing this world can offer. You could have all of it and somehow still find your soul and your life unstable and broken and wounded and not satisfied or made whole yet. At its core, discipleship is an apprenticeship that shapes our relationship with everything. At its core, this is what discipleship is. It's an apprenticeship to anything, to whatever we are around, whatever's informing us. It's an apprenticeship that shapes our relationship everything. So whatever is discipling us is shaping us. It might be Jesus. It might be Hollywood. It might be money. It might be the philosophies of this world. And this is why if we read Luke chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus says this, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Or in other words, where the disciple maker is going, the disciple goes. Friends, friends, whatever is teaching you, whatever is your disciple maker, whatever is teaching you today, wherever they go, friends, that's where you're also going to end up. It wasn't a question. That's what Jesus is teaching. And this is why in the next verse he says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Or a different way of saying it, everyone, once they're fully discipled, will be shaped into the image of their teacher. Friends, who is your teacher today? Who is the primary influence in your life? Who speaks loudest to you about what's true and what's valuable and what's right? Because this is the core of discipleship. It's a relationship that shapes us. And when wielding all of the authority and all the right to command, when nothing in heaven and earth had more weight or more power or more glory or more authority, authority than Jesus, and when he made this clear, his one directive was to ensure that discipleship to the Jesus way is prioritized by a Jesus people. And what that, teaches us that if it, it, what that teaches us is that if discipleship is an apprenticeship that shapes our relationship with everything, then Christian discipleship is an apprenticeship that writes our relationship with everything. Christian discipleship is an apprenticeship to Christ 
And in that apprenticeship, he begins to write, heal, amend our relationship with everything around us. And in doing this, as this happens, as our relationship to everything is healed and made right, we draw intimately closer to God and to one another because this is what it looks like to go the Jesus way. You know, Jesus was asked, what's the most important command to you? Or another way of saying that, what's your highest value? What's most important to you and your character? And this is what Jesus replies. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is Jesus' priority. This is the priority of the God who created everything. That there would be more love, more relationship, more wholeness, more people, more like Jesus, that more people would entrust their lives and and all they are to the loving hands of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Luke 14, 33, he says it this way, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, just they cannot. They, They just cannot. That, that's what there is. It's, it's unable. It, they're impossible. It's contrary. There's no, there's no way. Cannot be my disciples. It's not a test. It's not a good behavior test. It's just a reality. We are prevented the freedom of Jesus' way by this obsessive misguidedness in our souls that we're picking up as we walk through life. And I want today, would you begin to recognize that first, discipleship is us, apprenticing to Jesus as he heals and makes right all our bad connections, all our bad expectations, and all of our bad relationships with everything that is. And second, would you begin today, as this sermon continues and as we continue throughout the day, would you begin today to, to allow Jesus to become the loudest voice in your life? Would you let him be the biggest disciple maker that you have? Would you begin to ask him how? Would you begin to entrust that to him. Verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Okay, so we got this guy. His name is Jesus. He seems to have a bunch of answers, seems to have a bunch of healings, seems to have a bunch of restoration that we all need through which once we have these things, we can for the first time begin to taste and delight in the immense and incomparable love of God our Father. And he, God our Father, Christ and the Holy Spirit, that they want us to be shaped by these rhythms of truth and of restoration. So I guess my only question is, where do I sign up? How does this happen? Anyone else, right? And it's here in the question of how does it happen that we begin to see the brilliance of Jesus' plan for discipleship unravel before us. Because in my head, I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking, yeah, I need this. Friends, my relationship with everything is skewed. My relationship with money, with time, with people, with myself, with God, and with everything else has been warped and broken. I have expectations and value statements and beliefs and ideas about what's true that are so whacked before God. And that's not just me. I don't even have to ask. That's every one of us. And so I'm just thinking here, yep, I need this. So, so when are you teaching it to me? <laughs> when is this happening? Is there a waiting list? Do I just sign up somehow? But when we think about it, the great commission of Jesus isn't Jesus telling himself to do something. Right? Imagine that. Hi, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Why don't you go disciple people? Okay, Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. How weird would that be? Right? It's not Jesus talking to himself. No, it's wild, wildly crazy. 
Jesus' master plan for discipleship was that we, the very people in need of it, would be the primary conveyors of it. That's Jesus' master plan for discipleship. And check out how the early church saw this playing out. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Or Colossians 3, 16. Let the, word of God, uh, Lord of, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, the early church thought that as we gathered together and as we, as we to one another did life, our lives as believers should lead to greater love, to, to better action, scroll too far, to a wholeness in community, to encouragement for one another, to Christ's teachings being shared with a greater seriousness, to us being shown a better way when we start going astray, to modeling and encouraging one another in worship and to cultivate hearts of gratitude. And and that's just, that's not a complete list, friend. That's not a complete, that's just two verses I cherry-picked out of the New Testament, right? That's not a complete list of what the Christian life should look like. And yet just this list, all of this, is to be done by each of us to one another as we go. And this actually teaches us something about the heart of discipleship, and I hope it amends a bad theology or a bad view of discipleship we have. It teaches us that discipleship isn't us having all the answers, and once we do, we then top down, drop these answers as though you know, we're discipling spiritually hungry peasants beneath us, right? Like, that's absurd, and yet so often it's how we see it. Like we have to be a better disciple. We have to become better so that we can disciple people. We have to become a pastor or a scholar or whatever, or at least holy. Because fundamentally we have this sense that discipleship is primarily a power dynamic. It's a holy person raising up a less holy person. A smart person raising up a less smart person. And I'm admit it, like at times finding someone better at a specific thing that you want to grow in is really helpful, like learning to read scripture or effectively helping the less fortunate or having a better perspective of the Christian life. You know, you find people who have these in abundance and you sit under them in mentorship and they teach you and develop a skill inside of you. But this isn't what discipleship is on its own. And the reason is, and the reason this doesn't work is because nowhere in scripture does Jesus call any of us to make disciples of ourselves. Right? Like Jesus didn't go, David, I want you to go and make a bunch of David disciples. And I want a bunch of David people running around everywhere you go. Like, how awesome, how sick would that be? Awful is the answer. Terrible. You don't want more of me. You want more of Jesus. And this is the promise of Scripture. Jesus goes, you're not making more David disciples. You're making more Jesus disciples. This is the hope we have. This is why I don't have to have all the answers and I don't have to be the holy one and I don't have to be perfect because I'm not the model they've got to live up to. I'm inviting people to walk with me towards Jesus. That's what it is. He is the primary disciple maker. And we are all on this journey of discipleship together. And this togetherness done intentionally is one of Jesus' primary means to disciple us. It's not about being good enough, friends. That's pride and it's sinful and it's a lie that is tripping up our local church, tripping up people in this room into paralysis, into not stepping out in the kingdom of God. It's not about being good enough. It's about being hungry enough. 
and finding a person right beside you who's also hungry. And if you can't find someone who's hungry for the gospel, you know what we do? We encourage them. And suddenly we're in a discipleship journey. That's what we do. We encourage them. And in those days where where we're struggling and we're feeling run down and we're feeling wounded and we're feeling like it's not good enough for us, they encourage us. They build us up. Hey, I know you feel dry and God can feel distant and scripture sometimes feels really hard to read and sometimes your prayers don't feel like they pass through the ceiling. But hey, let's step out anyway. Let's just keep going. And then, you know, I'm encouraged. I step out. I experience something beautiful. And then the next time when they're discouraged, I go, hey, you remember what you said to me? You remember that time when I was struggling? You know, let's go on this journey together. Jesus' call to discipleship is, hey, come on a journey towards me. Do it together. Do it honestly. Do it sincerely. Do it with vulnerability, humility, and a willingness, heck, even a hunger to grow, to learn, and be shaped by truth. To find all the places in our hearts right now where we're wrong and we're wounded and have them righted by him on a life journey together. See, Jesus' master plan for discipleship was that we, the very people in need of it, will be the primary conveyors of it. Not making little disciples of ourselves, but being hungry ambassadors, conveying the wonders of being a Jesus disciple. And it's this collaborative nature, uh, as we look at this and as we receive this, it's the, this collaborative nature that, that quickly answers why such an important thing to Jesus doesn't have a biblical blueprint. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament. Go and read the book of Exodus. It's a really engaging story. It's fantastic. And then you kind of hit like the, the third third in the book, and it starts to get a bit different to the rest of the book. And you start reading line after line, verse after verse, of this detailed, meticulous description of a, of a thing called a tabernacle, which is this place of worship that's a tent. And if you don't know anything about tents, by nature, tents are temporary. And there's this like third of a book where God has just detail after detail after detail described how this temporary dwelling place of worship should look. And if discipleship was that important, then where's, where's my you know, detail-orientated master plan blueprint that tells me exactly how to do everything when it needs to be done? And the reason it doesn't exist is because unlike the tabernacle, this isn't primarily a single place where everything comes. It's not a, a single formula or one-size-fits-all one religious dogma. Instead, discipleship is designed to be tailored to stamp life into lives across cultures, across demands, busyness and slowness, city and country, male and female, young and old. Biblical discipleship is personalized, culture to culture, age to age, person to person. And it's us, you and I, the people in it that shape and explore what a sincere and healthy discipleship looks like for the relationship we're doing it with. To borrow a word I learned this week, discipleship is, is, is co-creational. That is that we get to create what discipleship is going to look like, and we get to do it together for the unique instance, the unique relationship we're in, in the unique circumstances, with the unique demands of life all around us. But we say, hey, I'm in. Are you in? I'm in. Okay, I don't know how we're going to make it work, but let's make it work. Church age discipleship is bi-directional, co-creational, encouraging, faithful, and pursuing of holiness. Proverbs 27.17 says it this way, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So you and I are sitting down in a bi-directional, faithful, encouraging, and vulnerable space, 
in the pursuit of Jesus is primary to his plan of disciple-making. When we sit there and we let Jesus speak through us to one another, Jesus does remarkable and miraculous things in the life of his church and in each of us. He disciples us as we sit in discipleship with one another. Verse 20, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we've got this, Christian discipleship, it's an apprenticeship that's writing our relationship with everything. It's, it's an apprenticeship that writes our relationship with everything. And what we recognize is that it's an apprenticeship that is both, that is towards Jesus, that is with Jesus, he walks beside us, and also under Jesus as he guides and he forms us. It's an apprenticeship that Jesus progresses as we gather together in intentionally discipling relationships. And with all of this in mind, I'm left asking, okay, so how do we do these intentionally discipling relationships? Well, well, I said it before, there's no straight up biblical blueprint, but I would like to offer three of many practical thoughts throughout scripture where Jesus teaches on discipleship and the nature of being a disciple of his. First is loving the Jesus way. The second is knowing the Jesus way. And the third is living the Jesus way. So loving the Jesus way. John 13, 34 to 35 says this, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Throughout this whole time, I keep using this word to define discipleship in a far more approachable way, and that word is apprenticeship. And here's why. Do we have any tradies in the house? Just a quick hand up. Anyone who's been a tradie or is a tradie? Anyone who's done yep, an apprenticeship? Okay, so, so here's why. Ask these guys about it later. I thought there'd be more, but that's fine. These guys are going to be busy afterwards. So here's the thing. Here's why. An apprenticeship is so much more than being a university student. See, a student, they sit before, they listen, they take notes, they pass an exam, they write an assignment, right? And the chief goal of being a student is the acquisition of knowledge. But, but an apprentice isn't just acquiring knowledge. An apprentice is in the shadow of someone who's forming them. They, they don't get their personal space. It's not a cold download of information. It's a three- to four-year process of formation by which when... You're done. People are going to look at your fantastic work, I hope. And then what they'll say is, wow, the guy who trained you must be good. Right? Like that's the image of, of apprenticeship, is, is, is the person who apprenticed you gets the glory. Except in the Jesus way, we're not learning about one industry. We're not learning one set of skills. This isn't about plumbing or carpentry or painting. It's a reformation of everything into the image of God and into his kingdom. It's more people, more like Jesus. And unlike some of the horror stories I hear of apprenticeship in, 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 for tradies, in the Jesus way, there's no taking advantage of your position. Jesus' reputation is one of love. And when we love because we've been renewed by him, people should look to the way that we treat one another and go, yeah, 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 I see your master's handiwork all over your life. I see it. Yep, oh, yeah. Jesus' disciples, look how they love one another. Whoo, that guy is a Jesus disciple. Look how much they care. Look how much time they have for one another. Look how much they prioritize each other. Whoa, I see the master's handiwork all over their lives. So how do we intentionally create healthy discipleship relationships? Well, the first is we love one another well. 
We create safe spaces, a space where vulnerability is honored. What does that mean? That means you don't mock someone for being honest. Just saying, even if it seems weird to you. And then also, you don't go blabbing about it and telling other people. You honor vulnerability. It looks like it's a place where, where failures are normalized, but not, not gratified. Where successes can be celebrated, but not glorified. Where we can create relationships where each person can grow to allow the other person more deeply into their lives. Where I can grow in such a way in relationship with this person that I don't have a sense of shame of any part of my heart or life before them. It's a place where I can step out and be bold in the kingdom and in faith with them, knowing that even if I fail, we'll laugh about it later, we'll learn and we'll keep growing. This might be an ideal and it might be a fair way away from where we're starting because, guys, that's how relationships work. You don't start there. But it's this love between us, these genuine movements of care and of acceptance and of celebration and at times even rebuke that mark a healthy, loving discipleship relationship. So number one, we love one another in the way Jesus has revealed us to love. The second one is knowing the Jesus way. So John 8, 31 says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In the early church, Acts chapter 2, 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted, that's a big word, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you think about it, this makes sense, because the apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus. Not just, uh, you know, uh, recorders of his teachings, but, but, but eyewitnesses of his character. They saw him when he had the flu, and he was exhausted. They saw him when things weren't going well, and he had a bad day. They saw him as he walked, and faced evil and brokenness. They saw him as he brought healing, restoration, and life. And they saw it all. And and the early church were desperate to know it all. They were devoted to listening, to learning, and to reflecting, and to understanding the way of Jesus. See, the second way Jesus teaches us to be good, healthy discipleship relationships is is in how we hold to what he's taught. Because I've got to say it out loud. Friends, tune in. I've got to say it out loud here. We've got to get hungry to know what he taught. Because you can't hold to what he taught if you don't know what he taught. Right? We've got to get hungry. We've got to get hungry. There's a section in James chapter 1. It describes someone reading scripture like this. It says, sometimes we read scripture like a person who looks in a mirror, and then when they turn away, they immediately forget what they saw. And I don't know if your brain is visual enough to comprehend how ridiculous that is. Let's say for a minute, I'm about to go out, and what's that bump on my face? Uh, uh, let me have a look in the mirror. Oh my goodness, it's a ginormous pimple. <gasps> you know, and then I turn away and go, hey, what's that bump on my face? This is weird. So I turn back and I go, oh my gosh, that pimple is huge. And I turn away and I go, oh, it's something on my face. I wonder what that is. You know, I feel like 10-second Tom out of 52-second Tom out of 51st dates, if you've seen it. You know, I feel... Like, it's redundant exercise to look in the mirror and not remember what I saw. The only reason we look in the mirror is so that we could learn something from what we see. And James is saying it's kind of the same with Scripture. It's kind of the same with Scripture. It's not enough just to have read Scripture. It's not enough to just have, have, have done my morning religious duty and have read Scripture. That's like, that's like reading it, that's like looking in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what, what, what we saw. Immediately forgetting it. And I'm, I'm going to caveat it with this one point. Friends, if you get up at four in the morning and all you can manage is reading your scripture, 
and that's all you've got, friends, do it. The scripture is the living word of God, the author of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit lives inside of each and every one of us, and he is able to redeem and heal and mend our hearts through his word. But, but here's the thing. Having read scripture is not enough. It's great if it's all you can do, but it's not enough. It's not the end goal. It's not why scripture exists, just that we could read it and forget it. Rather, we've got to get desperate to believe that there's something inside of that scripture, there's something inside of the word of God that transforms my relationship with everything around me, that transforms my relationship with all existence, that makes me feel like if I don't have it, I'm broken, I'm less off. If I don't understand how God views and designed and shaped reality, if I don't understand where I'm misguided and where I'm hurting, I will be broken and continue in my brokenness. And my only hope is to see the word of God and let it speak powerfully inside of me. I've got to get desperate. I've got to get devoted. And this is where I feel so many of us can get lost. The presumption is they're teaching the word of God. The presumption, if you notice in this section in the scripture above me, Jesus presumes they're teaching the word of God. It's holding to the word of God. It's letting it take hold of us. It's knowing it when we're not reading it. It's facing a situation and beginning to recall how God frames that situation different to the way the world does. This is the kind of hunger for scripture we've got to have. And so we believed within those words were a healing between us and our relationship with everything, ourselves, our friends, our money, our time, and our God. So second point, we've got to get desperate to unravel the truths of Jesus' way together. And final point, living the Jesus way. John 15, 8 says this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here's what we're doing right now. Here's what we've kind of gleaned so far from this sermon. We're meeting up with peers. We're hungry for Jesus, for his kingdom, for his way. We're learning to love one another well. This is all great. We're learning all about what Jesus taught and how he pushes back the darkness and the brokenness of the world through the spirit that lives within us, testifying to the truth of Jesus and his kingdom and the spirit that lives inside of all believers. We've got all this. And to stop there would be okay but not a true reflection of a life liberated from the dust and the lies that we keep picking up every day as we keep walking. It's just not. You see, here's the thing. Followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus' way, live Jesus' way. People who follow Jesus' way live Jesus' way. You won't even know you're doing it after a while. It'll just be normal life. But we'll just be developing a Jesus swagger about us. We'll just walk more like him. We'll just naturally grow in empathy and in care, in love and in truth. You know, the wise words of Jackie Pullinger says this, God wants us, that is Christians, to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Discipleship relationships soften our hearts and they harden our feet. And it all begins with a simple and intentional question that we take the time to ask one another as we gather. Hey, what's one thing that we could do to reflect Jesus better in our lives? Hey, what's that one thing that you're feeling a conviction of in your soul? What is that one thing that the Holy Spirit has been putting onto your heart for a while? that you've been ignoring.
What is that one thing that has been pushing against your heart and continues to push against your heart and you're not engaging with? And don't get it perfect. Just say it out loud. It doesn't mean you have to get it right tomorrow. But how about we start asking some questions? How about we start walking that journey together? How about we start navigating this world together? What's the fruit of his kingdom being brought to life within us? You know, a third way of doing discipleship well is that as disciples, we walk more like Jesus. So here's what we got. Uh, how do we do discipleship well? We love more like the Jesus way. We, we, we know more of the Jesus way. And we live more like Jesus' way. This is vital. And this is the story that's been brought together and that, that, that we should understand as a church now is that Christian discipleship is an apprenticeship that writes our relationship with everything. It starts by recognizing that every day we're being discipled by everything and it's killing us. So we begin trusting Jesus to be our primary disciple maker. As we do this, we're intentional, we're intentional in encouraging one another into the discipleship, into discipleship to Jesus by gathering and growing together. And in these discipleship relationships, we grow in, in love for one another, in knowledge of what's true and in, in Jesus-like fruit. And so here's my question. Here's what I wonder. Who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? This week, who, who will you begin to entertain the notion of a discipleship relationship with? Who in your world could you become to, begin to encourage in their hunger for Christ and then journey with them? Because we're about to enter a time of worship and prayer. And what I want to remind you of is that when Jesus had all authority and in heaven and on earth and he made it known to us, this is what he considered vital for us to know, that discipleship is primary to the Christian life. And I wonder if you know that fundamentally the heart of Jesus to see us discipled is nothing short of a revelation of the deep and intimate love and care that he has for us, to raise us from those miry depths of deceit and of woundedness and of sin, to invite us into liberty and into freedom, to reveal a more beautiful way of life and to reveal true love, true love. Romans 5, 8 says it this way, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His heart for us isn't that we would be better performers or better masqueraders of righteousness. It's that he is that we would start to taste real and true healing, liberty and life in the only place it can come from, Jesus. Would you, would you begin to walk towards him today? Would you begin to do it together in community this week? Would you join with me in prayer? Almighty God, I thank you that in all your love and in all your mercy, you refuse to let us stay in our brokenness. You refuse to let us stand and stay in the deceit and the twisted realities that are being formed within us as we walk through a broken world. And in the place of all these things, my God, what you brought to us was a way that we could discern and be healed to utter an absolute truth. That, that we might become a more people, more like Jesus, that we might draw towards you with our lives and encourage one another to do the same. That that's how much you love us. That there is a hope, a liberty, and a freedom that is available to us. And so maybe in this room, you didn't know that Jesus loved you that much. Or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but it never sunk in. And maybe the Holy Spirit could be doing something powerful in your heart. Maybe. Maybe. 
And so with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed, just out of respect, it's just me and a, and a member of the ministry, look, ministry team looking. I'm going to invite you, if this is, if this is a moment where, where you want to commit your heart to God, where you want to return to Him having walked away, where you want to make a statement of faith f- uh, before Him today, a relational statement, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. Because He loves you. Come on. Come on. Because He loves you. And as Christians in this room, we're just praising God in our hearts right now. We're praying, God, move and stir in the hearts of the people in this room. Draw them to you, God. We just thank you, Lord. Holy God, thank you that you're moving and working. Thank you that you're healing hurting hearts. Not just of non-Christians, but of all of us. Show us your way. Show us the Jesus way. Help us to get enthused for it. In your mighty and powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page.